Hello and welcome to Concourse, episode 3 of 3 for this series. We are completing the hat-trick. My my, there were some giant killings in the FA Cup this weekend, weren't there? And uh, if you listen to the intro episode I did, you'll have heard me mention my trip to Chorley, Chorley FC last year. Well, they took on Neighbours Wigan and won, so massive result for them. Uh, and it's just a shame that the fans weren't at that one, unfortunately. Dulwich Hamlet are also a team I follow too, um, really inclusive club. Uh, it's where I got the inspiration for the pink in all the logos and and uh, and whatnot from. They went out in the last round to Eastbourne, uh, so I decided to sort of follow those guys and see who they played and see how they went and so on and so forth. Well, they took on Blackpool and uh, got to say there were some chances on the Priory Lane Astro turf, that's for sure. Well, with shutouts at the higher end of the pyramid. Fans have been flocking to lower league grounds across the last couple of weeks and months, but that's not likely the case now with more lockdowns. Thankfully, though, the uh, the highlights are online, which is good for me being overseas um, because it's uh, pretty hard to follow some of these these smaller clubs that I'm into. Um, but hopefully some of these smaller clubs continue to get a following, um, provided that the cameras do turn up, especially for the FA Cup games. Now, speaking of lockdowns, most of Europe are gripped by them once again, it seems. So for anyone listening over there, do uh, do stay safe. Having gone through it twice here in Melbourne, it's no getting away from it. It is tough and it, um, it actually segues us nicely onto this week's pod, which is very much about mental health. Now I started this project, uh, you know, the website and a bit of writing, the blogging, the podcast, of course, as a lockdown project. And I've saved this topic until last because it is pretty close to my heart way more efficient, less disturbances, no office chit-chat, no commute. I moved the gym to the garden, it was of course summer when um, we started working from home and I was watching loads more football too, documentaries, old matches, um, reading more football articles online and it really gave me a chance to catch up on the game which I really enjoyed. And One thing I came across not long ago was the Prince William, a mental health documentary that included an interview with Joe Hart and a, a number of other footballers as well, I think Frank Lampard's in it, um, and also a few groups of fans. And I'm a big Joe Hart fan, as it goes. He was great at City, you know, super entertaining, really passionate, you know, really, you know, beating his chest when he made big saves, or penalty saves or whatever. You know, we think of keepers as big, bold, loud extroverts like that, but I was really impressed with how open he was in the documentary. As well as a couple of other interviews, I, I then went and watched online that I've seen him do too. And he was open about you know, his adversity that he'd had in his career and how he'd managed it. But he was really objective about it too, in that there are plenty of people who probably have had it a lot worse than him as a you know, professional footballer that's played for England and so on and so forth. But I think what Hart was getting at was, you know, he's had his challenges, everybody has their own. And they, you know, we all have different trigger points with different impacts it's different person to person but it does take a lot of empathy and thought to try and understand what another person is dealing with and feeling you know bereavement for example or losing your job or a breakup they'd impact us differently because we are all different so you know something that might not really impact you at all could have a mega impact on someone else and vice versa something that impacts you in a huge way might not bother another nine out of ten people there are people in that documentary that have lost little ones, you know, babies and young kids, which is obviously super tragic and can't imagine much more worse things to go through. And there are people on the programme that have 
just have trouble with you know an overactive overthinking mind unfortunately and have to live with that day in day out prince william let's not get into our thoughts on the royal family and whether britain should have one and all that but prince william talks about the british mentality that really is a legacy from two world wars that took place just over 20 years apart you know just think about it the last 20 years we've had challenges especially for younger generations growing up you know, trying to get a higher level of education, getting on the property ladder, getting a job, getting a decent standard of living, all being, you know, really challenging for you know, our youngest generations. You know, first, we had a global financial crisis, and in the UK, we had the introduction of high university fees too. So, kids, or you know, people growing up, have been on a bit of hiding for nothing there. And the, the last year, we've had a global pandemic that's smashed the economy in bits, and it has put many people into an indefinite socialize, socialization social isolation I should say so go back to the late 40s 50s I can only imagine I can only imagine living through a war no matter what part of the world you live in it's probably one of the toughest things you can go through and would you want to talk about it after you probably should probably going to be cathartic and helpful to do so but probably not you probably aren't going to pretty distressing harrowing times you want to get on with your life and try and have a family and build a happy and safe environment for them yeah you probably would but in turn are you going to tool your kids are you going to tool your kids up to open up and share the problems and ask for help not likely you know the knock-on effect two generations on is you know lack of openness stiff upper lip and a good dose of toxic masculinity in some quarters and some parts of the country and definitely see a bit of that in the north where i'm from britain really is no exception to that now, we all know St. Pauli, it's become a brand in its own right, um, as well as being a football club, um, and a pro progressive football club at that. So up now is a child with Tina, who is one of the founders and helps run St. Dupree, a mental health group set up by St. Pauli fans after one of their friends and fellow fans lost their life to suicide. And this story is about so much adaptation, compassion, people living their values, an organisation living its values, care, football club going beyond its core purpose too and tina gave me loads of time she was a really big help in researching the topic of mental health so tina if you're listening and everybody at saint Dupree, thank you very much here's tina first of all telling us about how the organization has had to pivot due to social distancing giving us an insight into what saint Dupree do and more we've almost got this this brand and this reputation of this is a place that you can go to. Like it's it, Saint Dupree is known about now. Mm. What was it like at the start? Because when you're trying to create a safe environment for people, and you kind of you don't want people to feel depressed, so you can fill the room up with people mm. coming. But you know there are people out there that need it, and you've got to make them feel safe and create a culture for them to do that. Was was that a challenge at first, or was there a big thing that sort of mobilised Saint Dupree, and you had an initial buy-in, and it's sort of gone from there? What were the early days like? Okay, um, I'm trying to think back on those times. So I think what influenced um, the way we started um, was a lot was influenced by we really didn't know what to do. Um, so uh, Michelle, the friend of ours um, who kills himself, um, only uh, even from our group who came together after that. Um, just a few people actually knew he was fighting um, the depression for years. 
so for example I, I i knew him from football from around you know we would do football stuff together we could would go on away games together and stuff like that um and also we would meet at random you know meetings with the other fans um during the week and stuff like that but um i was never like real really close uh, that close to him so i actually didn't know he was uh, he was yeah. uh, de uh, fighting depression so when it happened it, it really just caught me off, off guard sure. and so we we came we came together as a group and and at first it was more of a you know a mourning process that we were like you know this this, this feels wrong like we can't leave this at this like it can't it can't be just this like yeah. it's that won't work for us and so we came together um, as a group trying to think about like okay let's do something about it let's talk about this because in this in the group that initially came together um there were actually a couple of other people who also suffer from depression so we were like okay we need to start talking about this we need to open up to each other and start just start talking it's not about you know actually healing each other it's just about talking yeah. so the other person knows you're suffering and so that's kind of where we started off and the the more we kind of got the idea of how it is now um we always from the beginning um it was really important for us that all of our our programs like the monthly meetings and everything else um is not only for people who actually suffer from depression but we also wanted to reach out to people um who are friends or family of, of people who suffer or who people who are just interested in the topic um, you know, who are just like, okay, I see that there's a lot going on in society on this topic, so I want to educate myself. I want to talk to people who know how it is. So, you know, people who just want to educate themselves. Yeah. So how St. Dupree came to be is obviously very important to the story. It's very important to what they do. It's very important to understanding what they're about and what the purpose is. But let me set some extra context here. Some studies show about three in 10 people experience mental health issues in Germany and it's different country to country it's usually you know one in four one in eight one in six something like that for a lot of western countries and when you hear these numbers they're really hard to visualize and comprehend so try and break it down a little bit now the DFB which is the equivalent of the FA in England or the FFA where I am in Australia has about 6.6 .6 million members it's probably anticipated far more people play football than that and watch football than that and that's about eight percent of the German population so it means around 2 million football fans, and these are just the registered DFB members, so about 600,000 of these are going to experience mental health issues. That's a pretty big number. Sometimes it's hard to imagine a big number out of a big number. So let's bring it down to more understandable numbers that we can perhaps visualise. Now the Millenter Stadium, where St Pauli play in Hamburg, that holds about 35,000. So you're talking just over 10,000 people. Now I can visualise this because Main Road, um, being a City fan where I first started watching them, held 35,000 people. So imagine being at a game, being behind the goal, and looking at the stand behind the other goal and saying all those people suffer from, I don't know, blindness. And then walking out of the stadium and seeing that many blind people, green 10 people being blind with walking sticks or whatever it might be, um, or guide dogs. I think you'd find it totally shocking. It'd be totally bizarre. But they're the numbers that we're talking about. And during these last few months, and I've certainly noticed this where I am, 
where everyone is triggered by the same thing, which is socialization, especially in a in a lockdown. We've gotten better at A, asking the question, are you okay? Largely because B, with more shared experience now, so more empathy and are better equipped to deal with how the other person might answer that question of are you okay? But beforehand, we were all a bit on eggshells of asking that are you okay question because sometimes what comes back is a huge load of information that is too much to unpack. So we avoid it and we don't ask because we sometimes don't have the tools to process the response. It's always thought that these three kind of groups we were aiming at yeah. and um, we tried also try to mirror that with the group who's actually running the whole thing. So the group who um, in this group um, who is like the main working group on the programs, uh, we have um, people, professional people, so therapists or um, um, to, we have a nurse who's in a psychiatric hospital, stuff like that. And then we have um, people who are um, where friends or family suffer from from the depression. And then we have people who are affected by it themselves. Yeah, sure. So we're kind of like mirroring the, those three groups we're trying to reach within our group. That was always really important for us. Yeah. And um, so yeah, that's kind of how we started out and with the first meetings and the, before before we actually came to these monthly meetings the very first thing we did um was like a poster campaign in the stadium um i don't know if they're on the website i think so um so basically what we did is um we got a couple of people i think at the beginning we just had like three different people um had had um, made posters with their photographs on them and some, you know, some photos of what's speaking for their character, for example. And then they, we will put a quote of theirs uh, on the poster uh, describing, for example, a symptom of this depression. Yeah. Um, lack of sleep, um, panic attacks, anxiety, um, self-harm, stuff like that. Just like small quotes. And then, uh, you know, our contact at the bottom and basically just, you know, to show, you know, this is, this could be a symptom and you're not along with it. You're yeah. not, the, you know, if you know, if you can relate to this quote, you're not, the, you're, you're not the only one. There are other people suffering. Yeah. And so what we did with those posters is we put them in the places in the stadium. And I mean, Milancho Stadium is 35,000 people on game days, yeah. or just 35,000 visitors, yeah. not including staff and stuff like that. Sure. And we put them we put them in the only place in the stadium on game day where you can be alone with yourself, which is the toilet cabins. Yeah. So in a, in a stadium with more than 35,000 people, you go to the toilet, you go into the cabin, and you're alone for yourself, just for a minute, couple of minutes. Now what the guys did here is really, really smart. If you've watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, you've probably learned by now how addicted we've all become to our phones. It's a habit to pull it out of your pocket and just start scrolling. Now listen to this. I got a bottle of uh, hot sauce it was for my birthday, amongst a few other things. And I was reading the ingredients on it, holding it in my hand, pretty much like how you'd hold your phone. The bottle is about the same size as my phone. And you know what I did? I scrolled it. I actually tried to scroll my phone. It was, it was a part of my brain sent a message to some other part of my brain, probably the bit that's for action, that said, 
try that again please because my brain processed that as an error that's how much of a habit it is to pull your phone out and scroll that's scary totally freaked me out no notifications now turned off right across the board so you may mate and i don't text you back don't be offended that's why anyway after conducting a survey with a small test group i shall refer to as the lads the phone comes out quick scroll of the news when you're doing the business in the box so you see this poster back of the toilet door and you maybe think about some of these mild symptoms that you've experienced and you might have felt these symptoms a bit more than usual lately so you google saint dupree and it's there in your phone and when you get home from the game you start scrolling again or you just go through you know your internet tabs or whatever there it is very clever idea but what about saint Pauli football club themselves how have they got involved with this what was the so you yeah. must have had a lot of buy-in from the football club themselves from St. Pauli to I guess allow you access to the stadium in this way what was how did you approach them and what was their response obviously sounds positive but I'd love to hear how that conversation went um well it it did take quite some time but it was more on on that's that that was mostly because of logistics like where do we put them and because usually on the on the inner side of the door there are posters from sponsors so that was the spot we actually wanted but because um that was uh reserved for sponsors we didn't get that one so it was you know we had to work on quite some time the logistics of the whole thing and then put them up and stuff like that but basically when we approached them they were in it from the start. Yeah, wow. Uh, like we didn't have to do any persuasion any or anything, like nothing of that. But I think that's one of the reasons why that was so easy is um, even though St. Paul is like worldwide known and supported club um, and, you know, we, ha we have such a huge fan base, um, we're still kind of small. It's kind of still like some... You can you can compare it to like a family business, so um, I think yeah I think it's like easy when you you know you know the people from who actually run the club and you know when you used to meet meet uh, the president of your own club during, uh, on during the week drinking a beer and stuff like that yeah. so um, so because we have those personal connections uh, obviously it's, it was quite easy to get in contact with the right people yeah um, definitely. because we didn't have to work our way down like from from the first secretary up to the ceo we didn't have to do that like because we could just text them and say hey ogre who's our president They're like hey how do you feel about this idea <laughs> we, we actually just whatsapped him oh wow and so so yeah we it was more it started out with like whatsapp and um different whatsapp to different people from cuff and basically went from there wow. so i think that made it way more easier than for example if you would do something like that with like bayern munich or something yeah. i think that would be a bit more difficult sure. so we had a we definitely had a had an advantage on that sure yeah um and you know also you know they supported us with money and stuff like that um we had you know, when we finally got together, the whole thing and started out with the first, you know, the month before we started the monthly meeting, when the poster campaign was um, already to a point where it was just about hanging up the posters, um, we actually got like an, and if we put it put together an event for you know all the important or the main 
active um, active people in the club. So like the the we invited the team, we invited people from um, um, media from from the club itself, but also from like other uh, the big fan clubs as well. So uh, we invited Ultra St. Pauli, the Skinheads, um, all these big fan clubs um, who are really really active. Uh, the muse- museum, the fan project, and stuff like that, just to you know let them know who we are and what yeah. we're what we're going for, yeah. you know. And at that event, um, the our head of media, or yeah, he's like managing the whole uh, team media stuff. Uh, he showed up with I think five players from the team. Wow! And all of them, first of all, all of them. Uh, we had like little uh, you know charity boxes out for people to donate money, and all of them. Put in, put in, I think at least a hundred dollar each uh, or euros each in yeah. there, and also two of them came up and were like, "Oh, by the way, here's my number. When you have that action day where you put up the posters, give me a call. I'll, um, I'll try to be there." And I was yeah, like, "Fantastic! What? Yeah, that's great." <laughs> so that's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" I love that. We just WhatsApp the chairman. We just WhatsApp the chairman. Imagine a group like that trying to do such a thing with Bayern Munich or a Premier League club, you know, a not-for-profit mental health group, just messaging, you know, Sheikh Mansour or the Glazers or whoever it might be. Big ships turn slowly, they say, but I just don't think they turn at all. It's just going to happen. So when you hear these stories of, you know, the cool hipster club St. Pauli, this is why they're cool, because they're progressive and because they care about the community and they care about the fans and they care about the people that go and pay to watch football at the stadium. Players giving out the numbers to help at launch days and raise awareness of the issue off their own back. That shows you what a cause this is. It stands to reason that at some point in your life we've all felt the emotion of anxiety and it's it's one that mm. I think it's possible, speaking from personal experience, I can think of times in my life where I felt that emotion but wasn't aware I was feeling that emotion. I didn't know what that emotion was. I didn't know it was called anxiety. Now, it's not to say every time you experience anxiety, you you need to always reach out for help. Just as every time you have a cold, you might not go to the doctor. You can ride through some of these. But it touches us all mildly at some point or other. And whilst a cold is on the spectrum of physical sickness, anxiety is on the spectrum of, of mental sickness. And for those people that maybe haven't been impacted by it as much or didn't become aware of, mental health and sort of reflect and go geez that was me a couple of years ago without realizing for those people that were kind of you know fortunately in a good space how did they respond to I guess the message you know rising and the awareness rising around the club did you have people sort of come forward saying yeah this hasn't really ever happened to me before but it's fantastic that we're doing this and to be aware and to look out for it for myself, for my family, for my friends, for other fans. I, I guess that was the goal of raising awareness of this. Did How quickly did that sort of mentality shift happen amongst the fan base, did you find? Um, I think with uh, the, the pro- whole project evolving and then, you know, we would have those monthly meetings and uh, also pretty soon start, uh, started out with uh, what we call... Um, initial talks so we have because we have some professionals on the team we can actually um provide um kind of like um emergency appointments with therapists yeah so because that's a 
big issue in, in, in Germany, actually, to, like to get the, even if you know what's going on with yourself and, you know, you decide to get help to get that first initial appointment with a professional uh, will take at least six to eight weeks of waiting. And then after that, um, to actually maybe actually get access to therapy. I think Hamburg is in the middle range of, you know, the, all, all of the districts of Germany, but in Hamburg, it's right now, I think 18 months until you can start therapy, wow. which is um, oh, to which really, really dangerous. You so, might have paid the ultimate sorry? price. An individual might have paid the ultimate price by that time. Things have just become too yeah, much. And that, that can happen within a day, definitely. you know, never mind 18 months. So this is where it can get a bit complex. And Tina, I talked a little bit offline here so I could understand this a little bit more. Now, if you've had to walk this path before, seeking some mental um, mental health support or whatever, you know it can be a bureaucratic process and sometimes make you want to give up. And some people, unfortunately, do if they don't get the help they need. Now, in Germany, they have a fantastic system, but there is a bit of a catch when it comes to psychologists. They kind of have like a private insurance system, um, and most people get their own private insurance. It's very similar here in Australia as well. I think probably less people do than is the case in Germany. And the details of which you give to your employer when you start your new job. Um, and a little comes out your wage each month and your employer also has to contribute towards it as well, this insurance. And it covers pretty much everything and it's virtually you know unlimited in terms of what you can access. It covers most of your, your medication and your prescriptions too. And if you're on social benefits, you, you're covered anyway. You know, you don't need to have the insurance and have a job to, to access it if you are on social benefits and unemployed. Now, in Australia, for example, you can get 10 subsidised sessions a year with a GP's referral to see a psychologist. In Germany, no referral necessarily needed, potentially five free sessions too, you know, not a Deutschmark from your pocket. However, here's the catch and arguably the flaw in an otherwise great system. Only mental health professionals, so psychologists, psychiatrists in Germany can take patients if they have a permit. And it's here you find the issue of supply and demand because these permits are handed out and done so on fairly historic data, I understand, which means it can often then be quite slow to actually find a psychologist or a psychiatrist if you need one um, and you don't have a referral or you're waiting on getting a referral. So if you don't have a permit, the patient has to then apply to their insurance company to be eligible for the refunds, but they fork out the cash for themselves in the meantime, which hits a bit of a snag if you're from you know, uh, low-income socioeconomic background. Um, and there are tons of studies also done about the impacts of not having meaningful work, not working on your mental health. So that is just a vicious circle people sometimes find themselves in as well. As I mentioned, these permits are distributed on all data. So as Tina says, it can take up to 18 months to see someone in some cases. People often need help a lot faster, which makes what St. Dupree do and what St. Pauli Football Club support so important. It's a big national issue to tackle and can be in danger. They can be in danger of spreading the resources a little bit too thin if they're not careful. Wow, that is. I mean, that was another question yeah. I also wanted to ask you as well is you've taken this upon yourselves. You know, why not the town? Why not an existing charity? I'm sure they are doing things, but. It sounds like there might be a you know a bit more of a wider both national issue, but also a space within the game itself to perhaps do a little bit more and plug that gap. Would that be fair to say? I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, of course. From the start on, we decided um, to keep everything St. Pauli based 
So we didn't want to outgrow our own club, basically. Yes. So basically, what we're doing is for us, for the district, and you know, for our fancy, which is our family. And uh, we never, like, we always wa wanted to restrict ourselves to that and yeah. not like be become a Hamburg-wide organization or something like that. Yeah. We didn't want that because because we do it voluntarily the, the whole work. But even now, it's quite a lot of yeah. work. I think we're up to 20 people in the team right now, and it's still a lot of work. Yeah, so, um, you know, expanding to be become a Hamburg-wide thing was never on our minds because yeah. that would, you know, affect our mental health probably. I'll just add here too. I also spoke to Tina about how St. Dippery has had to adapt with social distancing measures. Unfortunately, some of their initiatives, which include discussion groups and yoga, as well as other well-being sessions, some have had to stop. The lack of social interaction within these free services is key, and, and without them, they maybe just don't have the same impact, the same delivery as, as hoped and intended. We also spoke about um, the people involved, and that includes their volunteers. St. Dupree is volunteer-run, and having to prioritise work, um, especially as the economic impacts of the pandemic have felt, it means that unfortunately people might be able to give the same amount of time to the initiative and to the organisation as usually they would. That's just the reality of it. People have obviously got to pay the rent and pay the bills. So this means that vulnerable people at risk of not getting the contact and the support they need and the resources of St. Dupree being stretched when they already do so much and have so much to do is a risk. Well, I think, you know, the, the main underlining topic also from all of our, like the whole of our project is, you know, making it normal to talk about it. Yeah. Um, get kind of getting it out of that corner where it's people think, yeah, you know, something you shouldn't talk about. It it it, it shouldn't be a taboo to talk about it. No. You know. So kind of like, um, if I break my arm, I would talk to people about it. Why not when I'm when when it's you know my mind that where something is broken or where something's going wrong, whatever. So yeah, um, make it normal. And I think especially in football, um, considering the fan scene and especially like, you know, women uh, in the fan scenes um, all over the world, I would say. Um, and also, you know, with the, the professional players and, and the images and stuff like that. So it's, I think it's also, also, um, you know, considering the the documentary with Prince William, it's uh, especially on on from a male perspective. I would say, you know, make it normal to talk about feelings, talk about emotions. Yeah. You know, it doesn't always have to be a mental health issue, but you know, it's especially for men, it should be normal to talk about emotions, to talk about feelings, to talk about feeling scared, feeling under pressure. Yeah. And you know, looking at men professional football. Um, we had we did have players uh, after their careers uh, who would speak out about it yeah. and speak out about what big of an issue it actually is. So I think I would would like people in power positions to you know consider that and talk to these people and 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 talk to the people who've spoken out about it and um, yeah uh, just advocate for that topic. Yeah. Uh, in any kind of way. So if you, if it if it is a, a small initiative coming up to you and saying, "Oh, we'd like to do this," support them. Yeah. If it's an ex-player of your club, 
after the after the end of his career coming up to you and saying uh, in, in 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 the media saying like that was an issue for me talk to them you know get them in on a discussion panel get them you know give them give them the spotlight yeah. stuff like that yeah, you know? yeah. or uh, ad campaigns sponsors stuff like that you know Going back to Tina's closing comments, as we always do um, uh, and always close with, um, and what are the small things that we and hopefully football can do? You know, the other day I was on a WhatsApp group with lads that I used to work with from all around the world, uh, having a bit of a chat, and one asked how we were going down here in Oz. You know, and it opened up a bit of a discussion. It wasn't super deep, didn't have to be super heavy, but it helped. And actually, one person asking another ended up with everybody asking everybody. And yeah, it was pretty cathartic and, you know, good to share and have that support. Don't be afraid of asking people how they are. It's not always going to be the big, unpackable, indigestible uh, answer uh, that you might have to process. And if it is, have a bit more faith in yourself, you know, to be a mate as well. Wherever you're listening from, uh, your numbers of people experiencing mental health symptoms in your country will vary. You know, one in four, one in ten, one in six, one in eight, three in ten, as we mentioned in Germany, is one stat. It's enough to be one of your teammates if you do play football. So if you spot some of the telltale signs, put your arm around them, you know, or more metaphorically speaking these days, because no contact is, of course. And if you're at or run a football club or support the local grassroots side, push to get someone in and talk about mental health or, you know, raise funds for a mental health charity or something to create mental health awareness within the football club. Again, all really small and basic things that you can do. If you've never faced any sort of mental health issues or not worked out that, you know, the flutterness, and that's describing it nicely, in your chest is the physiological experience of anxiety or not been aware that a slumping mood could be, you know, mild depression, perhaps because you're supposed to feel sad as a result of something that's happened, so you don't identify it so as, as anxiety or panic attack. It might be hard to totally empathise with someone who suffers these symptoms, and it might be hard to identify them yourself if, if you haven't had them before. I put a link in the podcast notes from Australian charity Beyond Blue, and it's a video from eight suicide survivors. Honestly, it'll, it'll break your heart doesn't take much to get me going but um yeah have a watch of it it's really powerful you'll hear these people uh, say things that you've probably heard people around you say things you may have said yourself you know just throw away comments of you know i've had a bad day or i felt down i felt down but just really everyday things and some people the, the signs um and, and some of you out there listening to it you might say these things and there'd be signs that people don't pick up on you know ask for ask for help and if you play football you've got teammates speak to them for you, there may not be signs of mental health issues, depression or anxiety, but it goes back to my earlier point. For other people, it is what triggers this experience is different for everybody. Particularly now as well, um, the big trigger for, for everybody is, is going to be probably COVID or lockdown related, you know, be it somebody being sick or, um, you know, out of work or the socialisation, um, socialisation, isolation aspect of it not being able to get out of the house. Um, you know, like I said, they impact us all in, in, in different ways. The anxiety about, you know, the virus and will things get back to normal. And yeah, I mentioned it at the start of the podcast, you know, I've gone through it here in Melbourne. And um, yeah, I think what, what's happened as a result of it is a huge shared experience. And as I've talked about within this episode, an ability for people to, yeah, not just ask if people are okay, but be prepared for the answer and be prepared to be the other part of that conversation and 
support other people. Shared experience here has, um, has really helped give people those soft skills, if you like. So I do hope when you know we get back in the workplace, but keeping it on topic with uh, what the podcast's all about, this is a football podcast, that when we you know go back to playing football, uh, in the pub after a game, uh, be it one that we've watched, um, be it one that we've played in, you know, in the changing rooms at training when you see a mate, you know, we've got that bit more compassion and empathy that, you know, our culture with a bit of a toxic, historic toxic masculinity and a stiff upper lip and, you know, uh, an image of what it means to be a, a man. Um, we can bring, you know, that image down a little bit and um, support each other to, to do so. Society and, and football definitely be better off better off for it that's for sure um i guess it's time to say thanks um thanks and goodbye for now um obviously thanks again to tina um for all of her help with um this particular topic um, we spoke loads on email afterwards as well and she was really informative and um yeah it's been a massive education piece for me to learn more about um, what's out there and what isn't and why organizations like this are so important um not just to football fans, but you know, to the wider community at the same time as well. Um, of course, thanks again to Izzy from last week. Um, I didn't mention on the podcast actually, but um, One Culture have just formed a partnership with the Central Coast Mariners, so an A-League team. Um, as you probably know, Australia is a big country geographically. Um, so to have that impact within South Australia, but also to, to catch the eye and form a partnership of an A-League, a top flight club, whatever you might think of the standard here in Australia, um, and form that partnership across such a geographical distance when we can't travel and meet with each other, sit down. Um, it really attests to what they're all about and um, you know how positive their values and vision framework is um, to attract a partner like that. So super, super pleased for them. And um, as borders lift here, I'm keen to either get up to the central coast for a little bit of a break and some sunshine and go and check out One Culture there. I'll do likewise over in Adelaide, a place where I've not really spent a lot of time, actually. Um, and, of course, going back to the first week as well, and um, as you probably gathered, these interviews have been recorded and researched over the, the winter months here in Melbourne, so it seems an age ago since I spoke to some of these people, but still to have had this as a theme, you know, going right through your, your winter as something to focus on, I'm eternally grateful for. And um, to look back on having interviewed somebody who took an Aussie team to a World Cup, um, even if it was the Homeless Football World Cup, um, you know, what those people did deciding to get that idea off the ground um, has probably changed their lives for, you know, hundreds of people now. And um, when you think about the impact we'll, go, we'll have when we go through life on people, to have that sort of an impact on that number of people um, is something we'd all be proud of if we were in, if we were in that boat uh, and had accomplished such an achievement. So to be attached to that and have somebody... Um, give the time to this podcast and share the story again I'm I'm really really grateful and appreciative for um so yeah it is time to to sign off and say goodbye for now um still doing a little bit on uh, the social media and still popping the articles up including the first matches first matches was all about uh, getting people to write about the first time they ever went to a football game and more from a, a mindfulness point of view as well you know when we get to go back to the stadiums a full stadium and you feel that energy of a you know, a, a midweek game under the lights um, or a, a lunchtime game as, you know, kids bound down the street with the dads during spring. Um, you know, as we get to feel that, the sights and the sounds, um, I think we're really going to take it back in. Probably didn't realise how much we took it in um, 
when we went to our first ever game, um, of course we're all very young and probably not experiencing things that mindfully when we do go to our first game. Um, but again, be very grateful for people sharing their really personal uh, family-related stories as well, and we're hoping to collect a couple more um, as we uh, as we remain out at the stadium, so at least we can get that feel uh, of what it's like to be to be in the ground and um, share those stories with each other. So yeah, that's it for now. Thanks again for listening. Um, please share because I think we've got some, you know, positive stories here. That's that's always why I ask for people to to share the the podcast and share the content because I want to promote you know really good community uh, football stories. Um, so yeah, please share on the Facebook, um, the social, uh, uh, the Instagram, um, or just have a listen on the uh, on uh, on iTunes and, and like and subscribe to it. I'd be again really really grateful for that. Um, so yeah this is it for now Um, this has been the concourse podcast season two Um, this is episode three of three and it's goodbye from now from my home studio here in Elwood Melbourne on the uh, on the lands traditionally owned by the Boone Wollong people take care and stay safe